This is the Ignition Point. I'm your host, Kendall Terry, and this podcast is all about Clayton Bradley Academy, where every day we work with students to help them problem solve, collaborate, critically think, and use their lifelong guidelines and life skills. Today, we have two special guests with us on the podcast. We have Pat Bradley, the founder of Clayton Bradley Academy, and Linda Jordan. And Linda has been working with us from the very beginning with the model Highly Effective Teaching. So between the two of them, they have a lot of years in education. I'm not going to uh, go into detail there. They can give more information if they'd like. But we are excited to have them as part of our school history, as part of why we are here and why our teachers do what they do. So Pat obviously has been working with us from the very beginning as a founder, and Linda has been training our staff from the very beginning. She trains our staff three to four times a year, um, comes in for days at a time to sit down with teachers, sometimes individually, sometimes in whole groups, to talk about what is going on in brain research, what's going on in education globally, and how we can implement the things that will help our students learn in the classroom. So I want to welcome both of you to the podcast today. Thank you. And I want to start with, we've been doing this whole season on relationships. And so we've talked about the importance of relationships, recognizing the way relationships change from preschool through K through five, middle school and high school, and how we know that early on those relationships between the student and the teacher are so important. And then as they start getting into middle school, those relationships from uh, student to student kind of gain more importance. Uh, Not that that relationship from teacher to student ever is not important, but we know that in our classrooms, we have to design them in a way that, that set that kind of thing up. And then hopefully our goal is when they graduate that the student relationship to the community and their impact in the broader community starts to take more precedence. And so when you guys were talking early on about the school and thinking about that, what did you see the importance in establishing that right relationship in all of those different grade levels? Um, And how did we look at training our teachers early on in that to make sure that they were building relationships from as soon as a student is on our property or possibly even when a parent is on our property for a tour? Um, until the kid is in the classroom, all the way through until they graduate. So I'm going to throw that first to to Pat, and then we'll have a discussion uh, from there. Well, Kendall, I think that's a very important question, and I think it is certainly a cornerstone of our school, and that is the impact that relationships have on students and how they learn. Uh, From the very beginning, I wanted the school to be set up looking at what brain principles are and how students learn. And from that, there were some very specific things that I wanted to happen. And one thing is the family gathering we do on Wednesday mornings because that is an opportunity to build in those relationships with our students across the grade levels, with our teachers, and also with our parents and the community as a whole. And the designing the classrooms from the very beginning was again thinking about building those relationships and how that the classroom impacts the brain and how the brain learns in the colors in the classroom and what we chose, the designs of the building, uh, the flooring that we use, the lighting that we use, the colors that we use, the, all of that matters in looking at how children learn. Some of the deliberate things that we did was having procedures, which is just going to tell children uh, the way that they need to 
react in certain situations, you know, when you're going to go to the bathroom, you know, when you're going to come into the cafe for lunch, you know, how you're going to move from your table to your to the floor for interaction with your teacher with instruction all of those things are deliberate and intentional in the way that's set up the agenda on the classroom um, whiteboards gives the students an idea of what's going to go on throughout the day so that they know what to expect and there's an element of security and knowing what's going to come next so we also did home visits from the very beginning that uh, that secured that link between the children that uh, were going to be at the school and with the parents in the in welcoming them, welcoming them into the into the school. So all of the things that we've done, we've done with great intention and moving toward that whole piece about being able to be in your frontal lobe where all thinking and learning occurs and not in your brainstem where we know that you're just going to get fright or flight or you're going to freeze in those situations which sets the groundwork for what we want to do with learning which we know is critical to student achievement and that's you know the focus of what we are doing here at Clayton Bradley but we have to set the stage for that to happen. You know I think that's a nice segue into uh, what Linda has done with our staff because you you kind of ended that discussion there talking about the frontal lobe and talking starting to talk about the brain and it's one of those that we intentionally talk to our staff about the brain we intentionally train our staff in how to set their classroom up so that the brain is in the right place for learning and that's Linda's specialty uh, is understanding the brain I mean she's done everything with our staff from dissecting brains to uh, showing multiple images of brain scans and, and different things like that in the learning. So as you've listened to some of what she was saying, what's the, the brain research side of that? What is the, the, the kind of the, the details that we don't always get into with everybody that is why we do what we do? Well, one of the things just to start with is a reminder that the tool we use in education is brains. <laughs> it is the brains that are walking in our classrooms. So we need to think about, would you hire a mechanic who doesn't know how to use the tools? And yet, as educators, they're often not trained in the tool, which is how, how do brains learn? And the exciting thing is, thanks to technology, we know more and more about how learning happens, how it takes place, and what will be the most efficient way for that brain to not just learn the information, but retrieve the information. So uh, originally, we just thought, just teach them, they'll store it, it'll be really great. But the big piece is retrieval. <laughs> and so we have to look at both sides of saying, not only how are they storing the information, but can the students find it later? And so it all begins with emotion. It's very clear in the neuroscience research that all learning is emotional. And I'm going to say that again. <laughs> all learning is emotional. That we know how you feel when you walk in that classroom is going to have a big impact. Is their amygdala pushed so they can't even access their thinking brain and they're only working at emotion? And it doesn't take anything big to have that happen. You know, you have the wrong sandwich for lunch. They want the green shirt and you have the red shirt. And, you know, and sometimes for the older students, it's, you know, who got invited to the prom or not, or, you know, breakups with girlfriends or boyfriends or 
are just the typical you know uh, interactions that teenagers have that push that amygdala and being greeted every single day by the same happy face that's there in every single period to say glad you're here so excited that you know, the research is clear that that greeting has a huge impact um, up to a 30 percent increase on students engagement for that first about 90 minutes just by being greeted so when we look at the research it can start to inform us to say uh, relationships aren't just something that you know we can put on as sugar coating but they actually help the brain be calm and help us to uh, be ready to be, receive the information we're going to receive. Now, Miss um, Bradley talked about things like agendas and greetings and lifelong guidelines and life skills. What we do is that is continuous from preschool through 12th. We don't want to steal brain real estate with learning new new practices, new rules, new procedures. We keep those consistent so the brain can focus on the learning of the academics because the, the way everyone is going to treat each other here is the same all the way through. So the brain can then say, all right, I might go deeper with lifelong guidelines and life skills and a different understanding because friendship to a five-year-old is different than friendship is to a 13-year-old. So we take them deeper, but that is going to keep the students' brains freed up of that not having to learn. Also, it's a really big help to parents who have multiple kids in the school. They can also use the lifelong guidelines and life skills at home, not three students in your family with three different ideas of how you know, we treat each other. Uh, and it isn't, you know, aren't, aren't you wishing that every single person you met just used the lifelong guidelines? that they were trustworthy and truthful and did their personal best and active listening. And so that those are skills that are not just our students need, but our world needs. And we're helping create world-class learners. Absolutely. You know, one thing that has come out repeatedly with our teachers as I've interviewed them is um, even from preschool all the way up, the teachers recognizing that those relationships cause the student to feel like that they have value. And it, it's that same conversation of, don't we want everyone to feel like mm -hmm. that they have value? Like, uh, it was funny listening to preschool talk about the way they do that is through welcoming them at the classroom. Community circle where you just ask, what did you do this weekend? Or what did you do yesterday? And taking that time to do that up through elementary where that can, conversation can go a little bit deeper into middle school and even into high school, it continued to come up of, well, I asked the students about their personal life. I asked the students about what they've done. I asked the students about what they enjoyed or what they didn't enjoy and letting them learn that they have value in their voice and that we should value as, the, as an active listener what that person is saying. And that, that's a huge part of, like you said, don't we wish everybody uh, did that. Don't we wish everybody recognized value in each other in everything that we do? You mentioned lifelong guidelines and life skills. It's part of our mission. It's who we are. You guys have set that up from the very beginning. Um, it's come up some with our teachers as we've talked, obviously, as they're looking at how they use that in their classroom. Uh, can you give a little bit of background about how did those life skills and lifelong guidelines come about? People see them, you know, on campus. They see them on walls. I mean, we put them everywhere. We've got them in stone in, in our entrance here. What, where, where did those come from? How did they come about? And then, uh, Pat, I'm gonna bounce back to you and talk about how have you seen those be effective in the classroom? How have you witnessed those either personally through your experience in teaching or being principal or um, in training staff? How have you seen those life skills and lifelong guidelines just bring, bring that about in the classroom? So how did those originate? 
The Lifelong Guidelines and Life Skills originated with HET, or the Highly Effective Teaching Model, which was developed by Susan Kowalik almost 50 years ago. And we sat down with a very large group of people and we said, what are the characteristics when you are picking a best friend, a partner, a spouse, uh, what are the characteristics of those people that you want to be around? Who are the, what are the characteristics of the people you want to work with? And so we brainstormed and came up with the list and we originally just started with the lifelong guidelines. You know, these are the five things that you know, we really wish that everyone had. and. At the time, there was a little pushback about no put-downs, trying to state things in a positive way, mm -hmm. but saying use put-ups is not the same. Yeah. It's, it's very clear, we don't put people down, and the best way to say that is just tell the brain <laughs> we don't put people down. And people started to say, all right, we get that, but how do kids show that? And so then we came up with the life skills. And the life skills are truly that, the skills you need to live for a lifetime. So the life skills support the lifelong guidelines. They're sort of the performance expectations. How do we know you're doing your personal best? You have common sense, you have integrity, you show curiosity. So as we sat down and started to work with schools in these, we started to see a very big difference because of the relationship. When uh, teachers and students are in conflict over discipline or classroom management, it's as simple as kids don't learn from people they don't like. Mm. <laughs> and so if I'm in a conflict with you over how a school, um, how you are treating me as a student as far as my discipline, it's very hard to learn from you as a teacher. So these are in a much more positive way to say, you know, you need to be trustworthy here. I'm trusting that your homework is done. You need to be truthful here and tell me what happened. And they're skills for life. We've been given the job to get kids college career ready. Our job is to grow great human beings. Our job is to help these students become great adults. And these are the skills they need for a lifetime. So we developed those, piloted them, and then since then over the last 50 years have used them internationally all over the world and just have had incredible results with uh, what our research shows that these kids truly do become global citizens because they have this understanding of how to treat each other, which is absolutely critical. Pat, when you hear that, I know this is not the first time you've heard that, that discussion, right? So when you hear that and then you think about how you have personally applied it, but also been part of trainings to help others apply that, and you've been able to see that with students, what does the impact lifelong guidelines and life skills have had in your career and in the lives of kids that you've, you've worked with, either directly or indirectly? Well, I feel like I spent um, 31 years in public education as a teacher and then also as a principal of two different schools. And I absolutely wanted to make sure that in creating Clayton Bradley that we looked at a, a, a system that we could implement that would be a system where we would teach children how to interact and adults also how to interact with each other in healthy ways. I did not want a system that policed students or adults because what I know about the brain and how the brain learns is that um, everyone does better when you have an opportunity to learn how to interact with each other in healthy ways. And that's the reason why we have the lifelong guidelines and the life skills is because it gives you that vocabulary that you need, words that you can use to develop and create that relationship and that uh, a healthy um, relationship of words that you can use 
to follow. <clears throat> you don't want to um, have a situation uh, where you, um, as I said, that you were your policing students rather than teaching them. Students and adults are going to make mistakes. How you view that mistake is very important because when they make a mistake, then with our lifelong guidelines and our life skills, you have a chance to restore the, <clears throat> either the relationship or the community in the classroom uh, and build it into something that's going to be beneficial to the student and to the community in the classroom and to the community of the whole school. Another piece that I can add is that the lifelong guidelines and life skills are not just for how we treat people, but it's also for keeping the brain relevant. Mm -hmm. And so when teachers know students and they know their background and their prior knowledge, all learning is look, hooked to prior knowledge. And so when we've built those incredible relationships, we know how to take the content and skills we've been given and relate those to the children individually, personally connected. So if I know that you personally love football or you love animals, I can then take the content I'm teaching and as I'm uh, working with you as a student, I can relate that content to your personal experience, which is going to be a great retrieval mechanism and make you more motivated to learn. So the relationship piece is not just about teaching us about good human beings, it's teaching the teachers how to relate the content to you based on your prior knowledge. That's something that uh, came up multiple times with teachers of knowing what that kid is interested in through conversation, through relationship, so that I can use that later. Um, not in a negative way, but use it to possibly help engage that student um, so that they can go further in their learning. Um, was there anything else you want to add to Lifelong Guidelines on Life Skills? I just wanted to say how much we value uh, the use of Lifelong Guidelines and Life Skills because uh, the results that we see of that interaction in the classroom is is so much more positive and it helps students to have a deeper understanding of, of creating and developing and maintaining those relationships with other students as well as with teachers and with their parents and the community as a whole. One of the things you talked about in that was restoring the kid to the classroom. That's something that you, you just don't hear a lot in education you, you because when somebody has done something wrong we go to those old habits of discipline like you said the police state so to speak and so we get into you know suspensions and and you know discipline in that respect and and in essence removing the kid from the classroom is a lot of times is what what um, people feel the solution is whenever the solution is is sometimes an immediate removal to kind of get away from the circumstance but it's looking at the bigger impact is how do you bring that kid then back into that classroom community and i think that's where the lifelong guidelines and life skills are so important and here at cba we also use restorative practice as our model of helping when behavior is not right of helping students recognize that behavior and then recognize why it's not right and how to restore what maybe has been broken because of them doing that behavior. Um, and that's a, a sense that when you hear it talked about, it's one of those that you go, oh, that sounds great. It's completely different for a parent maybe that's listening when your child maybe has done something and, and, or had something done to them 
we sometimes go to that default in our brain of, of how is that person being disciplined or, or maybe that fear of how is my kid going to be disciplined. And we try to get our parents out of that and into this mode of, of it's not about the discipline, it's about the, the restoration. It's about recognizing this is the wrong behavior. And then it's about recognizing I've harmed somebody, I need to restore that relationship with that individual. Or I've harmed the classroom and I need to restore my relationship back to that classroom. And that's a conversation that we could probably have for a while of, of what that does in the brain as well. Um, but we're going to stop this one right here. There's going to be further podcasts coming that are going to include Pat Bradley and Linda Jordan. I want to thank you both for the time today and sitting down. This is a great conversation to end out the importance of relationships uh, in our classrooms. The fact that we don't hope that relationships get built. We are intentional from the very beginning, from home visits that you guys mentioned to family gatherings to classroom uh, visits to procedures to agendas. There are so many things that we could say here to the use of lifelong guidelines and life skills that it's not just words on the wall for us. It's not just something that um, people, people occasionally talk about, but it's something that we believe in. It's something that really makes up that core belief of CBA, that we understand the impact that what we do can have on somebody else. And if what I have is valuable, then what you have is also valuable in listening with each other. And then whenever that trust is broken, how do we restore that to the classroom? That's something that will make a huge impact the rest of, of these students' lives. And hopefully, like you said, we're trying to make students life ready, whatever that may be for them, um, in a world that it's, it's sometimes not sure of what that might mean for them. And so this has been a great conversation. Thank you both for setting down. And like I said, for those listening, there's going to be for further discussions coming with both of these amazing individuals as they talk about what we do at CBA and the brain and, and education and hopefully the impact that we can have on the broader education community as well. This is the Ignition Point. I'm your host, Kendall Terry, and we have had a great discussion with Pat Bradley and Linda Jordan where every day at CBA we try to help students learn to problem solve, critically think, collaborate with others, and use those lifelong guidelines and life skills. We hope that you have a great day.